everyone, and welcome to Fireside Friends, Episode 2. I'm Ryan Brassad, and with me is my co-host, Alan Ibrahim. Hey everybody, let's get all warm and get the blankets all, pull them up close, real close, and get some marshmallows and put them on sticks, and we're going to gather around and come on, call, get all close, and we're going to talk about abolishing the gender binary. And Only nothing. abolishing the gender binary, though. Everything else is irrelevant. Absolutely. And Alan... What? We have a guest today. A mysterious guest appears? Yes. We're outside. Not to steal a bit from who, our shared experience, who but could we're it be outside. That I, who could it be that I see out in the woods over there in the darkness? Is that... <gasps> it's... This week, we are joined by uh, a freelance writer, among other things, uh, Tatiana Maria. Hey, you guys. Hello, hello. Uh, so Tatiana uh, writes for Gaming Rebellion. Uh, she did uh, recently. She did a piece on Firewatch, which is going to be our shared experience, which we'll talk about later on. So thank you so much for joining us. I am very happy to be here with you tonight. Awesome. Uh, so let's just jump into stuff we've been up to. Does anybody want to talk about uh, some of the things they've been playing or watching or you know stuff like that? Ryan, I fell down a deep rabbit hole recently, and I, I'm just now starting to claw my way out. What rabbit hole would that be? Uh, I got into Pokemon. Uh-oh. Whoopsie. Uh-oh. Well, it's a good, it seems like a good time, because it's, they're celebrating like the 20th anniversary, right? Correct. Yeah, the, the first Pokemon games were released 20 years ago uh, this week, and uh, I purchased the latest one that's actually out, which is... Um, Pokemon Omega Ruby, which is a remake of a game that I liked as my in my childhood, and it's a good time. Uh, it's a fun little adventure, and it kind of gets into the thing that I wanted us to talk about in part in this first segment, which is just like these games that we play because they're there and because mm-hmm. they fill a void of time that we need uh, to fill for for whatever reason. Uh huh. Because um, it's just it's so chill and you just you run along and you're on an adventure and everything is really easy and you make your your little monsters level up, and everything is is positive and friendly and warm and sunny, and I I like that a lot. Uh, this just that the last couple weeks have been like the game has nothing left to give me is the problem with it, and so I feel like I've just been kind of spinning my wheels, not ready to commit to something new because it's so much easier to go back to something that is familiar and comfortable, mm-hmm. like a warm fire. Um, but they announced new games today. They announced new uh, Pokemon games today. Uh, Pokemon Sun and Moon, which are supposedly coming out holiday of this year. So I think this is, yeah, this is a good time for people to give the series a shot. You know, it's it's very kid-friendly, but it's also got a lot of um, stuff to do if you are looking for something relaxing and good to play on uh, your 3DS, because they're always on Nintendo's latest portable uh, console. And... I don't know, it just, it makes me, like, it fills me with joy to, like, wake up in the morning and just level a couple people or, you know, catch a legendary here or there. Like, these yep, are... It's, people. They're people. <laughs> catch a couple. <laughs> no, that's... You know what I meant. Well, yeah. They feel like people to me. My relationships with my... <laughs> with these cute little animals are just, they're so well, do they, profound. Do they talk to you? I thought they were just little monsters, and they went out and did battles. They all... They do go out into battles. Um, this game makes it a big point that you're, like, interacting with them more, and that they feel more like they can exist, because they're rendered in 3D now, which they haven't been before, uh, and some of them cry their names, 
uh, crying, like they yell out their names instead of the typical thing where they just make garbled noises. Like you, you, you send out a Pikachu and it goes Pikachu. And you're like, oh, you're real, I think. <laughs> and they have like uh, that whole skinship mechanic that was very controversially removed from the latest Fire Emblem game, where you can essentially pet your Pokemon and form a tighter bond with them by using the stylus to like physically interact with them. So it's stuff like that that makes it feel like not that they're real, but that they are like they have AI routines that they are going to live through even when you're not playing the game, which I also think is pretty neat. Mm-hmm. I've been playing my 3DS a lot. Uh, yeah. Just like you said, as like uh, kind of a comfort thing. Um, and just because I go to college and I need something to play sometimes in between classes. So if I'm just waiting for a class to start. I'd be playing like Binding Isaac or like uh, checking in on Tomodachi Life, stuff like that. I actually wanted to talk about comfort games because um, I've been, well, I haven't been playing it recently, but I think the last time I was with you, Alan, on Skype, I was playing Battlefront or Star Wars Battlefront. Um, and I checked, I made a mistake of checking to see how many hours I played of it. And it was 31 hours. And I thought, that's too many hours to be playing this Star Wars Battlefront game. And I felt really bad about it. Um, and it's really... it's I don't... I can't, <laughs> I can't get over the fact that I spent 30 hours of my life, more than a day, playing a mindless Star Wars shooter. Ryan, we need to get you into MMOs at some point because uh, I mean, I've I I've definitely went down the Destiny hole. I mean, I know Destiny's a kind of a different thing, but it's it's the same kind of bait of like grinding and uh, trying to get cool gear. I guess I haven't played an MMO, so call me out if I'm getting I, all of this wrong. I don't want to call you out or or try to one up you in any way, but I what I am saying is that if I were to go into World of Warcraft and check to see how long I've played. It would say something in the range of like, let's say three or four weeks in time played, mm-hmm. um, if not more. Uh, so, but I don't regret a minute of that because that is time that I spent enjoying it and that I spent with um, friends both online and off playing that expansive uh, <laughs> beauty of a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the thing is, if you, I, I just think if you like something, then you should be able to not regret spending time with it. Like, are you enjoying Battlefront? Sometimes. I mean, it's... Uh, you've probably heard some of the criticisms when it came out of being... It, like, it's kind of light on content. Um, and the leveling up is not great. It's really slow. But it's one of those games where I sometimes play when I have a long day and I just want to shoot things. Uh, and have things look pretty. It's very visually stunning. And it, it scratches some itch of like... <laughs> Having something very mindless that I don't really need to think about that much, that I can just load up and play for an hour and a half at a time, I guess. Sometimes more. <laughs> sometimes much more. Sometimes I lose track. Yeah. For a whole 31 hours, I'm sure you spent a little bit more than an hour and a half at a time. Once Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There was a huge, like, I dumped a bunch of time on it when it first came out, because I'm like, Star Wars, I'm playing Star Wars. That game's really weird in that it only has stuff from, like, the original trilogy, 
and they already said that they're not going to add any Force Awakens stuff, which is like, I don't understand why they would do that, but considering how well that movie did and how good it is and how more inclusive it is, uh, I don't understand why they don't just do that because it, I guess it says a lot about the crowd that they're aiming for, which is like older people who think that the original trilogy is the true Star Wars or whatever. Barf. Oh. Oh. That's what I get from it, at least. (laughs) No, if... Again, I haven't played played Battlefront, but if they're setting it in the time of the original trilogy, then the reason not to move forward with setting it in The Force Awakens time would most likely be something closer to just continuity and the Mm -hmm. chronology that they're working with. You can't jump the story ahead 20 years or whatnot. See, that's what their defense was. But they also released a Jakku map, and you can play as Boba Fett on it, which he died in the last movie, hypothetically, before Jakku was a thing. So they kind of already broke continuity, kind of, I guess? This is why I was surprised that EA made this new Battlefront under the new Disney Star Wars sort of brand, is Battlefront to me has always been... Uh, wish fulfillment for Star Wars fans because you can just smash it's like smashing your action figures together it's and that's why I think in part that it's comforting to you is it in the previous battlefronts were just like I'm gonna put Luke Skywalker against Emperor Palpatine and they're gonna fight and I don't know and then it's gonna be Luke and his dad and they're gonna be on the same team against Chewbacca and like 10 different Wookiees that is a specific fantasy coming from the fact that Star Wars is a like all ages inclusive brand mm-hmm. and the problem with the current way that Disney is handling Star Wars is that they are really really kind of obsessed with canon like if you really did your re- you do your research uh there's very little uh media that has come out that is canon and takes place after episode 6 right now because they have the movie, and they want people to see the movie. They want to make that, have that movie make as much money as it can. So for them, that's why that's in, to me why they don't want to uh, add Force Awakens stuff to that game is because that is untouchable. The post six world is for some reason, for some weird continuity reason, untouchable. And like there's like a book that people read that they said wasn't that good, and there's like an iPhone game that's terrible that takes place during the Force Awakens. Well. That argument is a little harder to swallow when you consider Disney Infinity, which literally lets you play as any character in that main story, and also they're coming out with the Lego game based on Force Awakens. I, well, then I think it's more uh, the fact that... I think it's... Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say that those games are kid-friendly, and maybe their problem is more that they don't want to see you destroying your, uh, your brand heroes, like Darth Vader and all of them, because you can't kill people in uh disney infinity i mean i guess kill people in battlefront it's partly that as well they don't die. they take a bow which is <laughs> the true. funniest yeah, animation to me yeah uh when you when darth vader or whoever main character runs out of health they just bow and then eventually despawn <laughs> that's what i do at the end of the day i just take a bow and that's what i do when i'm tired i'm just like Take a bow. In the middle of an elevator, like, I'll just let it roll. I'm going to bow down here. But getting back to your original point, uh, 
And Tatiana, you and I were talking a minute ago about uh, Don't Starve and how you've been playing the new Shipwreck DLC. Is that correct? Oh my gosh, yes. I, the Don't Starve franchise um, altogether is just a fantastic time waster and the multiplayer mode is so well done. But Shipwrecked as an expansion just adds so much to it and I've really been enjoying running around chopping down bamboo and fighting snakes and making sand castles and I mean you can have muscle farms and it's just been really fun a really it's the same mechanics of course but it's just the different graphics and the different sounds and it's um it's been a great thing so that because of that and because of what Ryan is saying about Battlefront I think what we and what I said about Pokemon is what I think we're getting at is the thing that makes a piece of media a good quote time waster is that it's set in a setting that you feel like you could live in or that you feel like you could uh, escape to because Don't Starve is or at least the expansion is ocean themed and that's a thing that you said is a big appeal of it to you and Pokemon specifically of the third generation is this it's like beach themed and you're on the ocean half the time and you know it feels like summer vacation and for me as someone who never had the like traditional like I'm gonna go out and have a lot of like fun adventures on summer vacation kind of thing uh that is very appealing to me and you know Ryan likes Star Wars as most people do so it is comforting and it feels good even if the thing the shell around the setting is not great like you're saying with Battlefront it just mm-hmm. feels good because we can't always, on our own, go to those places. I think mm-hmm. that is that is the like connecting thread between these different things. I I do want to toss out there that um, Don't Star was a fantastic game. Yeah, main, main Don't <laughs> Star. I don't, I don't consider it about. under like a time waste. So that would be like you know my um my match three games on my phone. That oh I yeah, <laughs> spend way too much time playing every night. Mm-hmm. But I do agree with that basic premise that it's something that you can sort of disappear into uh, it's i guess for me it's i do have i brought up binding of isaac earlier just because i've been playing a ton of it because uh, i got it on my 3ds uh, which is fantastic by the way if you're into that game i know there are plenty of reasons not to be into the binding of isaac but i really enjoy it um and that game is more interesting to me than like, I feel like an hour of Binding of Isaac is more fulfilling than, like, 20 hours of Battlefront. Just because there's so much I don't know about Binding of Isaac. Even playing, like, like alone on my 3DS, like, four or five hours of it. Just right. in my spare time. Just because there's so much stuff in that game that's hidden off. And you only, you know find out about certain things when you try things and die a billion times and so i guess what you're saying is that binding of isaac to you is satisfying because it feels good to play not necessarily because its world is appealing well it's good it feels nice to play like battlefront does to me but also it's more fulfilling you said it's more fulfilling in that the world there's so much more mystery to it. When I play Battlefront, I know exactly what I'm expecting. But whenever I play Isaac, you know, I could I could beat a boss that I've never I could encounter something that I've never encountered before, and that feels rewarding. Or like if I feel like I'm spending my time. That's a bad way of phrasing it, but uh, it, it feels fulfilling to play. I guess is what I mean to say. 
than just blankly shooting people in Battlefront. If that makes any sense. I think it does. And also, uh, to take this away from games for a bit, I think that all there's all sorts of things that we find comforting about pop culture that makes us want to just sit in it and exist in it. Um, mm-hmm. I've been watching Farscape in the last couple of months, um, going on a year now at this point. And that is a show that um, is rewarding to watch a lot of because, A, the characters are great, and B, the world is very... And I don't like to use this word too much, but interesting because mm-hmm. it assumes that you've watched a bunch of sci-fi before and you know, like, there's going to be aliens and there's going to be a body switching episode and there's going to be a bug episode. And when it does those things, it does them in very weird, uh, subversive ways because it is from the late 90s when being subversive was really cool. And I every time I watch that show, I feel like I'm home or something like I'm in my happy space which is, mm-hmm. I think, an important thing to, to look for when you're going to devote a lot of time to, a pro- like, a thing, you know, be it a hobby or a piece of media. Mm-hmm. We talked about that a lot with Animal Crossing and other Nintendo games, I guess, that have this sense of a safe, safe space, I guess. Uh, so I think that's a lot of 3DS games for me at the moment. Yeah, it's a good system. I, um... I'm always looking for that new thing, that like new uh, experience. And it, you know, it's different with movies too, because there are movies that I like to watch because they are thought provoking, which is like the Binding of Isaac camp. And then there are movies that are just fun uh, to watch, like uh, your Galaxy Quests (laughs) or like just uh, dumb action movies. Uh, Those are things that are just fun to watch and feel good in the moment, even though you are expending two hours plus of your of your lifetime to them. Like, that is why we enjoy art, is because it makes us feel something that we can't feel on our own. Mm-hmm. So, I'm saying, what I'm saying is you should enjoy Battlefront if it makes you happy at the end of the day. And not feel bad that you've played 31 hours of it. That's fair. I don't know. <laughs> uh, for me, it's when I, when I see the 30-hour clock, I'm just like, well, think of all the small, interesting games that I could have played instead. Or all the... TV shows and movies that I could have seen, but at some point it's just, I know I need to cut myself a break sometimes with that stuff. For sure. For sure. So anything else we want to talk about? I'm good. No, I'm good with that as well. Awesome. Well, I guess we're going to, were you going to say something, Alan? I was just going to say, this has been, like, I haven't uh, played or watched or done a bunch of stuff this week because I've been doing a lot of school stuff, so I haven't mm, had time. Same to, here. I haven't yeah. had time to sink into any uh, projects or games. I've been just like, there's a lot of stuff that I've just been like idling. Like, there's nothing that I've sunk my teeth into yet. Yeah. Uh, other than like Firewatch, uh, and I'm still trying to figure out what that was. I thought it was going to be Silent Hill Three, but Silent Hill Three does really shitty things with my anxiety, so I don't know. If I want to play it anymore. It is Silent Hill. I can imagine that being difficult. It's one of the most oppressive games I've ever played. Yep. Uh, but yeah. That's, yeah. I think that's, a t- I think that's a segment. Cool. Before we move on to Firewatch, we have an email. Uh, because last week we talked about Starship Troopers. Um, and our email comes from Brenna. Um, who says... 
To preface this, I must admit that it's been several years, at least a decade, since either reading the book or watching the movie, being Starship Troopers is the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here are a few thoughts, anyway, for whatever they're worth. I do prefer the satire angle that Verhoeven expresses in the movie over the unironic militarism that Hein Heinlein embraces in the novel. I've read a handful of Heinlein's novels, and I'm in no hurry to read any more. Uh, there's always something about them that rubbed me in the wrong way, but at least now I have access uh, to frameworks that give me the tools to explain why rather than the something about this book leaves me unsettled and I qu- can't quite put into words why feelings I had about them when I read them as a teenager. I'm not surprised that Verhoeven chooses to turn such a text on its head and chooses to examine the militaristic jingoism present in the American society. Highland served in the, in the military U.S. Navy, but was discharged for health reasons about five years before the start of World War II. Verhoeven lived in Amsterdam in The Hague during the Nazi occupation of the Netherlands, his family's home in The Hague near the German base. It's not surprising that the two developed drastically different views of the war. I, hadn't heard, I haven't heard that bit about Verhoeven not being able to get past the first page of the novel, but it surprised me a bit. As someone who read the novel, I'd say I'd probably be better, a bit better off had I made the same decision when I was on the first page. Anyway, as I said, just a couple of thoughts. Thanks for reading. That's a good email. It is a good email. I didn't. I when I read this email, I hadn't really considered Verhoeven's perspective and his background before he made the film, and I think that's really interesting. Yeah, and it's also interesting because the a lot of like we mentioned last week, a lot of time or last episode, the uh, whenever something is ad- adapted to a movie, specifically when a book is adapted to a movie, a lot of times people are like, the book was better. That's a lot for some people an objective truth, and. Part of the reason I think that Starship Troopers was a good choice for us was that that is not clear cut for most Mm -hmm. people. They're shooting for such different things because Verhoeven is the type of director who won't, he would never make a straight adaptation ever. Um, Mm -hmm. He'll he'll take the title and he'll take the premise and he'll just run with it and do his own thing because he's a he's he's a unique European man. Like he has a very specific perspective that uh, belies the fact that he's just making adaptations a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Tatiana, have you seen Starship Troopers? Sorry, I just wanted to ask. No, I actually haven't. I haven't seen it. I haven't <laughs> read the book or anything, and I'm pretty sure that makes me like the worst nerd ever to not have seen Starship Troopers. I mean, that's okay. I haven't seen it before. We talked about it, so you're in the clear. It's everything is okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't put it in the cultural canon of like these are things you need to see. It's mm-hmm. it's just interesting for the reasons that we discussed. Yeah, I've heard fantastic what, things about it. Yeah. <clears throat> what is the cultural canon anyway when you think about it? It's changing every like 5 minutes and it usually revolves around films that are old that not not enough people have watched critically to rejudge if they are worth keeping in there. It's like the whole novel thing where people say like, "Oh, this book is amazing. You need to read it." And it's trash. Yeah, I don't ever want to tell somebody, like, this book will change your life, because that's, like, a key, or, like, this movie is essential, you have to watch this, because that is, like, a guarantee that they will try, either force themselves to like aspects of it, or uh, just not like it, and then be disappointed that they're disagreeing with you. Mm-hmm. 
I think there's something to be said for when what it reveals about somebody when they say to you, this piece of media is critically important to me. If somebody mm-hmm. tells you they like a song, then, you know, go listen to that song and give it like some actual thought, like, why does it matter to this person? Or, you know, they really, they say this book changed their life. Maybe it's not going to change yours, but the fact that it's important to somebody else that means something to you, I think is really a critical thing to put some attention towards. Mm-hmm. That is a good point. Like the stuff that people like, it's is more interesting than the stuff that we all collectively agree is good. Because if someone's telling you, yeah, this is important, then yeah, that tells you that where their tastes lie and what they value in a really significant way. I think, yeah, good point. Yeah. Anything else before we move on? I'm excited. <laughs> I'm ready to talk about Firewatch. Yes. I am so ready. All right. After the break, we're going to be talking about Firewatch. Yay! There's a lot to dig into here, uh, but I'm going to guess that we all liked it. Loved it. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally loved it. Uh, I love this game a lot, and I'm interested in seeing where we differ in viewpoints because Alan, you mentioned that you don't like some things about it, and I'm interested in knowing what those are. Here's the thing about game mechanics and ludonarrative dissonance. <laughs> Here we go. Drop from the big L. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a beautiful game. It's and it tells a really important and beautiful story that I that resonated with me a lot. But the part where you play it, oftentimes to me, felt like it was getting in the way of enjoying it. Uh, at least the first time I played it. So I played it twice because. Uh, of a thing that we'll probably talk about in another segment one, which is the cultural zeitgeist. Um, But I finished it the day it came out, and I was kind of lukewarm on it. And just before we recorded this, I finished a second playthrough of it, where I enjoyed it a lot more, not because I was rushing less or um, like trying to piece together its plot at all, but because I knew what to do. Um, and if, if if to just to get this like one negative out of the way, if there's anything that I uh, personally didn't enjoy about Firewatch, it was the feeling that uh, Henry was not lost, but I was, because he plays this guy Henry, and he's a Firewatch mm-hmm. lookout in Wyoming in the '80s, and he's talking on a radio to this woman Delilah, and they're uh, exploring a mystery, and oftentimes the characters would say, "You need to go back to this place." And there's clearly supposed to be this sense of urgency and uh, agency in what you do and how you get there. Um, And so 
for me as somebody who likes to play open world games and who likes to explore and get lost it once the plot of firewatch starts going it doesn't feel appropriate for me to be wandering through these trees and clipping into invisible walls and running into the same uh like going in circles and then getting lost over and over again because henry wouldn't be getting lost um Mm -hmm. so that was where i found myself like not enjoying it the first time Mm -hmm. but again once i played it the second time and knew where to go it was like watching a three-hour movie because if you Mm -hmm. know what to do you just go straight through that game i was gonna say you blaze through that game but that is too on the nose yeah yeah i'm going to start off by saying that we are going to talk about the game in full uh, so if, if you haven't played it yet, uh, be aware that we are going to talk about the entirety of the game. So if you want to pause it, come back, that's fine. It's pretty short, um, unless you're staring at how pretty it is, like I did. But uh, yeah. Uh, so I definitely felt what you were feeling, Alan, towards the very end where you're running to Delilah's tower. And there's that moment where uh, uh, Delilah calls you and tells you that the helicopter is has arrived. And Henry's like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like right, I'm right there. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like not even close. <laughs> I don't know where I'm I am. Like, I'm like at the very bottom of the map. Because uh, I got lost a lot during that part. Uh, and it's, so the thing about the soundtrack is that it loops at certain points. Yep. Like at the beginning uh, during the, the like uh, prologue. Uh, so it was the same like few notes that was uh repeating as i was trying to find where the hell the cart was uh and that that's the only time i felt like the pacing was bad but it was only uh mostly me not knowing the space well enough but the second time i knew where it was pretty i got there pretty quickly that's interesting to me i i've only played through it the one time and I spent an awful lot of time. I put 10 hours into my first playthrough, which most of it was spent taking screenshots and wandering around and just exploring the world, um, chopping down mm-hmm. paths that I shouldn't have chopped down yet. Between the compass and the map, I really I didn't have a problem getting around. I felt like there was enough... Mm-hmm. Um, there's different paths to where you want to get, just like if you were in Shoshone National Park yourself and you could get to different places. The end of the game in particular, where you are making that race to Delilah's Tower, I knew where to go myself. I was just running and running, and I was like, am I going to make mm-hmm. it in time? Am I going to die? You know, what's going on here? And it was, mm-hmm. for me, the environment and the whole sense of it actually really improved the game with how I felt like it mirrored Henry's mindset. But I wrote a, I wrote an article on that, which is uh, why I'm here. And it is a great article. I'd just like to say. Well, thank you. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. If you haven't checked it out, it's on gaming rebellion. Uh, great article and a short, short read. If you don't like reading, it's good for that too. <laughs> What a well-written article. It doesn't take any time to read at all. <laughs> yeah. A plus. Very short. That's how you measure the quality of articles, of course. It's how you measure the quality of art. If I can get through it and it's like less than three hours, then I like it. Ryan, yep. I'm, I'm segueing for you. Firewatch, I'm going to toss it right over the you. Year. Here you go. <laughs> uh, I really like... Okay. The one thing I thought it was interesting is, uh, Tatiana, you mentioned 
just now and in your piece too is one of those games that you want to get a sense of place of and just be in that space um and i thought it was interesting that in the very beginning of the game before it was day three where the game is basically like okay so we're we're about to like kick off the game part of this but if you want to hike and then tell us when you're ready uh that you can do that and i thought that was interesting i didn't do it I don't, I don't think I did it both times when I played just because through the first two days uh, it gives you like seemingly unimportant tasks to do that kind of do that job for you or at least gives you a sense of uh, they're not urgent so you have a you have this opportunity of uh, in addition to doing the objectives you have the opportunity to you know, just bask in the, the how pretty everything is. Um, so I thought that structure was really interesting. Well, there's nothing dangerous about Shoshone, and there's nothing dangerous about the Two Forks area inherently. Mm-hmm. So when you first enter there as Henry, I felt like the game was encouraging you, like you said, to explore and to wander and to really appreciate because, I mean, he comes there to get lost. He comes there to escape. So you... As the player, I felt a need to wander and to escape and to familiarize mm-hmm. myself with this new place that I had run away to. Uh huh. The second time I played it, I was at home. I live on campus at school, and it's like a city. But when I played it the second time, I was at home in this Virginian suburb, and I played Firewatch on a Saturday. I had, I tried to block everything else because I was really stressed out. And it's this meta thing of playing Firewatch to escape. So hmm. I'm playing a game about escaping things to escape from stuff. Uh, but well, uh, just those few days of just being in that place is just extremely peaceful. Uh, and I kind of want to feel that way forever. I kind of <laughs> want to feel like the first few days of Firewatch where it's just really not quite subdued, but like this just the sense of quiet and like not like the idea of like nothing bad is going to happen and you could just explore this place uh at your free will alan you were going to say something uh i was mostly going to segue into a point about how i agree with you and the thing that made my second playthrough of firewatch much more satisfying and enjoyable was treating it like i was going on an actual hike because uh for the last couple summers i've had a the pleasure of going to uh, the local like hiking area near my in my hometown and it's so gorgeous I recommend everyone uh, go hiking at some point in their lives like not just play a game about it but to actually do it because it is like the most tactile form of exercise that you can do in my opinion um, and when you think of it like that you know you don't hike with the intent of getting somewhere and that's why I think the first three days of firewatch are important is because the point where Delilah says, hey, do you want to keep hanging out or do you want to go somewhere is the point where the developers are saying you should know the map. You should be comfortable in this space and you should be able to like see landmarks and know where you are. And like that is what we want mm-hmm. you to come out of this from. That's why we're asking you before you move on, like, do you feel comfortable in this space? Because once the, once the game is giving you more direct objectives and giving you a literal tool that tells it points you with a beeping sound and an arrow towards where you need to go and it becomes video gamey as hell 
that part is way more enjoyable and painless if you know the space. Because if you're getting lost and you're following this beeping and it's incessant, then you're annoyed, Henry's annoyed, no one's happy. It's just an unpleasant experience. But when the thing is beeping and you and someone mentions the cave, I know where the cave is. I know how to get there. I know which turns are going to get me there the fastest. Oh, right. And it's so like that is the moment where the first time I played it, I hated it. And the second time I loved it because it relies oh, yeah. on you knowing the space more. And I, you just remind yeah. me of the fact that on my first playthrough, I forgot where the cave was. <laughs> it's on your map. Be fair. I know it was on the spot, but it's like really small. Everything else, every every other landmark, like important landmark, is like stuff that Henry Henry written in. Yeah. Uh, and the cave is just in regular font. So I was like, "Where's the cave? I saw it before. Like I knew it. I know it exists. I uh, and I just didn't know where it, where it was. And then I broke the games <laughs> in a few ways. I turned around and there was no world behind me. That was rad. Yeah, whenever uh, it shows its its edges, like whenever it shows the seams, you kind of like it breaks immersion, but it doesn't happen as much as it does in a lot of open world games. Mm-hmm. Which, like speaking of hard objectives, uh, the Campo Santo, the the developers of this game, they clearly played a lot of Far Cry Two, um, which is another. Um, it's a first person game that is more of a shooter and an action game than it is an exploration game, but it does also feel like a game that works better when you know the space and. Uh, relies on you learning how to get around like that game also only gives you a map and a compass and while that was a little scary for me when i first started firewatch like i've been playing this for five minutes all i know is that henry's a sad man i need to go (laughs) somewhere and i don't know where it is like that is appropriately daunting but once you master that skill set of like how to use the compass and the map quickly and effectively it is so like, you're right in there with Henry. You feel everything that he feels. Yeah, I love the map in this game. It's, it's a amazing. good map. <laughs> um, and I just... The map, uh, paired with just the general layout of uh, Shoshone, this game does a sense of place extremely well. Definitely. Mm-hmm. What... Okay. What do we think about the story bits... Of Firewatch. Yeah. Uh, I guess we talked about before day three. What do we think of after day three? When it starts delving into... Uh, I forgot the word again. The conspiracy. Remind me what... <laughs> well, the conspiracy, but also I'm trying to think of... Oh, god damn it. The thing where they show a bunch of scenes at once. What's that called again? Oh, montage? Yes. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> From the montage on, what do we all think of that stuff? I'll let our guest go. I am, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the game. I'm a huge fan of the story. I love that what you get initially in the story with the text-based choosing, where you're setting a path mm-hmm. for Henry, but you bring him to Shoshone not knowing what's going on. And then you move into the story where he doesn't know what's going on and Delilah doesn't, supposedly doesn't know what's going on. And you have this, these two people encouraging each other into this weird sense of conspiracy and mystery. And Delilah's been working in Shoshone for 13 years, I think the story says. Correct. So you have Henry who is brand new and came there to escape. You have Delilah who 
has been there and is familiar with the place and both of them being surprised and working into one another's paranoia. And I felt like that really mirrored what you saw from Henry early on, which was he let this this thing that was happening with his wife really get to him and knock him out of his comfort zone. So he tried to escape from it only to find himself working overtime and letting his mind get ahead of him again and being unable to escape and not appreciating what was right there in front of him in terms of what was actually real. Yeah. Um, building off of that, uh, I think that the cool thing about the second half of this game or the, you know, the post-day three part of this game uh, which, depending on how you play, it can occupy more than half, whatever, um, is that it, be, because it's a story about two people, it is a very believable conspiracy for a while. Like, if this was a story about one man going uh, going out of his mind and, and losing tra- sense of reality, that is a much more rote narrative. Like, the man in the woods uh, went crazy because he got lost and thought he, his wife was talking to him on the phone. But because it's this other person who is playing off of your dwindling sanity and being like, are you okay? Because I'm not okay. And they're freaking out back and forth, which is also a testament to how good the voice acting is. Um, mm-hmm. I believed the first time I played this until the very end that something seriously bad was going on. Like, I had so many theories. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it it does the it does the gone home thing. It does the, like, everything you think is is intentional but none of it is right. It is. This is a story about real life and real people. Um, and it's a story about believing in, and like being afraid of a commitment. Like the back half of the game kind of becomes not only about Henry and Delilah, but about this guy um, whose name I can't remember right now. Ned. Uh, Ned Goodwin. Ned Goodwin, uh, who made a mistake in life like Henry and fled to the wilderness and so it becomes this exploration of, like, why the heck do we always feel like we need to flee to wilderness when we mess up our real lives? And how does that differ between someone like Ned and someone like Henry? And how do we come out of that? Can we go back to the thing that you mentioned there about imagining his wife calling him? Because I yeah. thought that was an incredibly strange moment in the narrative myself, and I kept questioning yeah. it and wondering what was happening. Yeah. Did, did she call? Did she not call? Like what happened well the day after delilah says that henry was like basically talking in his sleep okay uh so you're meant to believe that he was just like just asleep and like subconsciously was talking on the radio to delilah uh, who he thought was um what's her name jude uh yes yes jewels you guys want to hear jewels do you guys want to hear something uh uh kind of creepy about that scene in the way that i played it the second time yes Mm -hmm. that firewatch is a game that lets you be silent more often than not and sometimes it kind of doesn't it lets me down in that way which in that like you'll let the timer run out on your decision making and you'll think i'm gonna be silent but then henry will just say something because the story has to go somewhere if you don't talk during all of that the next day delilah says you hit the button on your microphone and didn't say anything. Oh, and it wow. freaked me the hell out. And I'm like, that's great. Like those moments where you can kind of change the tone of the story based on your choices are amazing. 
Like, none of the choices in the game feel like they are changing the plot, but they're changing the tone and the mood, which I think is way more interesting than simply giving the illusion of choice of, like, where you're going to change the whole story. Another thing that I like, I don't want to diverge from that one moment because I do want to go back to it, Mm -hmm. but my favorite one of, like, building stuff for the player's interaction is when, uh, later on, when Delilah gives you a second radio, you can just choose to ignore it and go straight to the base. Uh, but the minute you do and start examining things and telling Delilah about it, she's just like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, and there's a good like five or six lines that they recorded just for that of just Delilah yelling at you until she eventually <laughs> is just like, fine. You know what? You don't care. Just fine. We're just all screwed, I guess, because they know they're listening to us. But whatever. <laughs> Government is listening to us. I had uh, read but to go back to... something, sorry, go just ahead. step in there real quick. I had read something about the yeah. fact that there's like 10,000 different um, dialogue choices or tones or lines that were recorded all together for accounting for events like that. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, right? Is that as if you, that's like, again, the getting back to the like taking a hike thing. If you play this game with the intention of like, I'm going to go through it. You're, and you go, this is short. This wasn't worth my time you're missing out on what it's supposed to be, which is, like, it is branching so much and you're not even realizing it. Like, down mm-hmm. to the fact that if you get lost, oftentimes the game will support that. Um, and we will get back to that uh, moment with the walkie-talkie. I just real wanna, really briefly want to mention the crazy thing that happened to me on my second playthrough, which I was telling Ryan about how you can completely change the way a moment feels based on what you say to Delilah. Um, during day two the main thing you're supposed to do is find out what the source of that smoke is and then find the teens. Gotta love those teens. <laughs> Let's enter the teen zone. Yep, and then you go to the teen zone, you see the little magazine. Uh, I didn't even realize the first time I played it that you can choose to never tell Delilah that your wife is sick. Because that never even seemed like an option. Like, of course Henry would eventually reveal that because Delilah is in turn revealing a lot of personal stuff to you. It only mm-hmm. seems fair. But if you don't, Instead of that being a, like, we're going to swap stories back and forth while we figure out what's going on with these teens, it completely changes. It becomes this really sad, like, trudge through the forest as Delilah is just egging you on about how fun and weird and sexy your wife must be and how cool and interesting your relationship is me. Oh, wow. And you're like, yeah, it's pretty weird. And every single time you get to say that, you can also be like, she's not doing well. But I never said that, and I kept letting her just talk. And then by the end, she's Man. like, "She's like, wow, so your wife, yeah, your wife is really, she must have been wild, like a hot doctor or something. And you're like, ah, I'm just going to keep running. <laughs> and it, yeah, completely changes the tone. I love, that was like the, my Jesus. favorite moment, but it was so hard. I like, was almost in tears at how, must, how rough that could be for someone. Well, I mean, that was, that's interesting to me because when I played through Firewatch, I, um, I played it as Henry being really stoic. I played it as him coming there to escape, not to come there and escape and flirt with somebody. So I didn't flirt with Delilah. Mm -hmm. I didn't talk about my wife. I didn't do any of that. So, you know, when she was trying to egg on Henry about Jules, I would just change the subject or or let it go and just be quiet because it just mm-hmm. didn't feel appropriate to me oh okay uh yeah i didn't flirt with delilah my first time but i told uh her about jewels so 
Those, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, the the way you go about uh, talking to Delilah also changes things a bunch. Uh, like the scene where you two are looking at the fire um, and you name the fire. Yep. Oh, I love that um, scene. What did you guys name the fire? Oh, man. Oh, I named it after... I named it the July fire, I think. Yeah, we ended up naming time. it the June fire. I think that was Delilah's yep. middle name oh, yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. The first time I named it, I named it Old Flapjack, which is like a cute, funny moment because <laughs> earlier she tells, she says that she calls mean people flapjacks or something like that. Oh, yeah, she says she can't uh, get the flapjack <laughs> to do his job. <laughs> exactly. And then you're like, she's like, next time you're at a bar, you should be like, hey, flapjack, which is, it's a good insult. Uh, the second time I did yeah. it, it was, yeah, you, you, you pick the Delilah option and she says, we can't call it Delilah. We'll call it my middle name, which is June. And the right. June fire is such picked. a cool name, especially because it happens in July. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, though, if you be romantic with Delilah on like at that scene, it's basically just like turned into romantic comedy. Like, Oh, if if you were here, Henry, we would do so much stuff. And then Henry's like, "What kind of stuff?" And that's and where then it cuts, cuts the black. Yep. I got that on my second playthrough. That it's felt really ridiculous. Weird. But then it turns into like the at the end of the game, it turns into like you're escaping your wife, and now you have to get over a relationship, and that becomes a lot. Like the whole game is about moving on and trying to deal with. Uh, mistakes or you know tragic things that ha- has happened um but when you do that it feel it more to me feels like the game is a lot more about moving on from those things that's why i think that the moment where your wife supposedly calls you is so important is because henry at that point has gone through the montage and has gone through the early days and feels like things are going well like it happens right when things are going fine and you've dealt with the teens and you're like this is a moment of quiet and then i'm gonna wake up and i feel terrible and my wife is calling me but is she really and i think the question of whether she is or not is irrelevant but what i also think is that you said that the game's one of its main themes is about moving on and if you play the game with henry as a flirt then the end where delilah says i have to leave if you tell her don't go um, if it's supposed to for the player feel like a Casablanca moment of like, no, please, like right. let's be together. But then it just throws the reality hammer down on you, and she's like, I'm leaving. Like you, I can't. <laughs> this doesn't work like that. That's not how life works. I don't just make the helicopter that cost eighteen thousand dollars. I don't just make them wait. Like, sorry, I'm never gonna see you again. Whoops. Yeah, I told her to stay the first time, and then I got there, and Henry's like, Oh, you're not here. And she's like, Yeah, of course I'm not there. <laughs> I told her to leave. I told her to yep. leave. I wanted her to be safe. That's the best way to play it, I yeah. think. When I did it the second time, I was like, she's like, I'm going to go. And I'm like, okay, bye. And that, it just ends. And that is Henry moving on. That is the choice you mm-hmm. should make. I, I didn't think it was I, about I, Henry moving on. I, I felt like it was just him protecting her. Because meeting Delilah, I don't think is a point it's it's he's trying to take care of her he could take care of his wife he wants to take care of delilah he wants to do something right and i felt like you know the right thing was telling delilah yes go leave if we're meant to see each other again we'll see each other again Mm -hmm. that's a good yeah (sighs) so much (laughs) so many feelings Uh, for this game oh yeah yeah there's yeah i was gonna say that um for that last conversation with Delilah, uh, the second time I played it, um, 
whatever no matter what you do i think delilah tells you that you need to see jules again um and the second time i'm like now i just i need to move on which is like the most poignant thing in that game which i think it's interesting that that i think that stuff is where the player choice uh, kicks in for me where it it has the same fundamental theme just the way that henry copes with it is a lot different depending on what you say so like you could henry can come to terms with the fact that he needs to move on or henry can uh try to convince delilah to stay with him and she says maybe sometime but that seems like a false you know promise uh so you can either like dwell on the past or accept that this is a terrible thing and you need to try to do what you can to move on from it this is where i'm going to step in and talk about the way that the environment mirrors all of that it you know the the sense of something catastrophic happening and something that needs to be recovered from is exactly what you're seeing when you have the two fires joining together and you see that our fire watches have to evacuate it's that same sense that something has happened and the recovery is no longer in your hands Mm -hmm. you could almost see it as like when they kind of were coming up with the premise for this game they started maybe and this is just theorizing as like this is a story about a man who's trying to who's escaping from a difficult life choice that he made and trying to move on to in a new beautiful idyllic place but everything is burning around him and then someone said, wait, forests burn. And then they went from there and went backwards and kind of Forest made Forests burn. I mean, I didn't make that joke. You made that joke. And the game made that <laughs> joke. Um, I did not make that one. What I did want to ask is what were y'all's favorite moments in this game? Like single choices or moments that you were like, this is the part that I'm going to keep forever. Yeah. The prologue obviously yeah. is like, Jesus fucking Christ. This game has one of the most strongest openings I've ever played. And also it's the moment that got me the most was when you find Brian's body and you radio in Delilah about it and she comes to the realization that she could have prevented what happened uh, from happening. And the voice acting is fucking incredible for that scene. Uh, yeah. And she just you know just you know she just has this moment of realization and it's like one of the most powerful things about this whole game for me the moment that i enjoyed the most is that conversation over the fire when they're looking at the fire and they're coming up with what to name it and it's one of those moments where i think that delilah comes across as really vulnerable and really friendly and really warm and it makes this giant wildfire this giant destructive force feel more like a bonfire or campfire where these two people are just having a conversation over it and for me that was a moment where i was like all right you know what i have a lot of thoughts here about henry and delilah and i have a lot of i i just want to keep playing i need to know what happens Mm -hmm. the thing i love about this game is that the characters are actual fucking characters and not like like you know generic white guy protagonist like you are a white guy but you are also overweight and are really complex and so is delilah and we need more of that in games like uh there's just not enough of this type of writing out there 
at least for mainstream games yeah and like the moment where i was like i love henry and i empathize immensely with him was uh and i'm not the first person to talk about this but when you in the prologue which is essentially a twine game if we haven't described it at this point it's just a series of choices set to gorgeous music uh you tell you say that you, when jules tried to draw you you posed as either sexy he-man or like flirtatious uh supermodel <laughs> um and then, like, the the part where it cuts back to Henry walking through the woods and he opens up his journal, you just see the portrait in his journal. And it's just, yeah. like, he's naked. He's just a man. He's, like, he's hairy and kind of ugly and, like, he has a gross <laughs> face. He's just a person. Like, that's – this is you. This is the player. This is – you are not badass. You have to spend so much of this game working around your inabilities as a person. Like, that is so powerful. But that was not my favorite moment. My favorite, I have sort of a funny favorite moment and a genuine favorite moment. A uh, funny favorite moment was when you find the backpack full of ropes and mm-hmm. Henry says, oh, like before that you can use a rope once and then you're like, damn it, I'm out of ropes. But once you find that, he goes, oh, there's so many ropes in here. I could just leave these and never have to get them anymore. Because <laughs> it's the game being like, we're not going to make you do that. Just just throw ropes on every cliff face and cut down every tree. Like, we know people like to do that. <laughs> so it's this admittance of, like, this is a game made by, like, 12 people. Just do whatever you want. Uh, but my serious fair moment was actually one that doesn't get talked about a lot, which is when things are starting to go really bad and Delilah calls you in and she is drunk out of her mind. <laughs> Oh, yeah. She finds the bottle of tequila and drinks half of it immediately. And I partly appreciate that because it doesn't rely on, like, drunk talk. Like, she just, she has a couple lines where she's like, I'm silly. And then Henry's like, get your shit together, woman. And she's like, okay, I'm fine. Like, I'm going to help you. Yep. Classic Firewatch line. Get your shit together, woman. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Well, I mean, uh... The thing that's, that solidified that moment for me is great is Henry turns off the radio. He doesn't. Yes. He, yeah, he, you're right. He doesn't just keep saying like, oh, so annoying. Like, the, cause they don't want to make you ever dislike Delilah. He says, let's just let her deal with this. She's a person. I'm a person. We're both in incredible stress right now. Let's, let's shush up for a second. So the game can be quiet and we can listen to just the beeping of that mm-hmm. damn trans transmitter or whatever it is. It's a very powerful moment. Yeah. Uh like I kind of said earlier like this game is has well uh formed characters and each of them have their flaws like Delilah like resorts to drinking whenever things go south and Henry is in the situation that he's in and like Ned Goodwin like practically caused the death of his kid and so did Delilah in a way. Uh so each of these flaws each of these are flaws that people and they have their ways of dealing with those flaws, and that is just really interesting to me. It's not an empowering game, it's a depowering game. You start off like, wow, these characters kind of have some problems, and then by the end you're like, I don't like any, I, I empathize with everyone, but no one comes out like stronger or better than they were in the beginning, other than like emotionally. Nobody's physically improving themselves or, you know like acquiring something it's very not video gamey in that way which i appreciate i think that's part of why people have been comparing it to literature a lot Mm -hmm. is that it doesn't follow a linear path of improvement it's more about like self-improvement and learning about yourself 
Well, I mean, it's it's if you're not just going to walk into a park deciding that you want to solve all your problems and walk out of there with all your problems solved. Life is not pretty. It's not neat. (laughs) Yeah. What did we think of the Brian Goodwin stuff? Um, I... I thought the personality that they gave him, what personality they gave him, was really well done and really touching and, you know, really enjoyable for what it was. I kind of didn't quite understand the connection that Delilah had with him. It felt like there was something there that we didn't know about maybe her and motherhood or her and her childhood or, you know, just something. There was something there that we didn't know about that made Delilah care about this kid so much. Mm-hmm. I kind of got the same feeling. Uh, if I have like one criticism of the game is that it could have telegraphed uh, all of that stuff a lot more. Um, but yeah, going to, it's weird because going to his clubhouse is like, it's a weird moment because you don't know that this, at least I didn't know that the focus was going to be on this kid. At least not at the time. I go back and look at all the stuff beforehand. And I'm like, oh, of course, this this is what they're going to focus on. Right, right. If you know where to look, but um, it was weird. But I like I liked how it was done in context of the story. They could have done a lot more to flesh it out, which is like my 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 main criticism of it. But um, the way that you find the hideout and you find all of this like cute stuff. Uh, cute nerd stuff um, <laughs> was really cool and um, the very end where you find um, Ned Goodwin's hideout and you like radio Delilah about it and she at some at a certain point she just stops talking because like what 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 can she say uh, that what really can be said you know uh, and I thought that moment was really uh, good as well yeah the Goodwins are weird because like you said, they don't talk about them a lot, but I think that that's intentional because the game really desperately wants you to think that it's something huge. Like, that's why you go to the science facility and you and it's dark and scary and the lighting suggests that you're going to find something horrible. And you go in and the, only, the moment is... It's when you go to the hideout is the first moment that you realize that this is not a game about um, science or experiments. It's about a guy who made a horrible mistake and had a kid who... Uh, touched someone personally and uh, he wanted to so this is part of the question and part of the reason that that stuff I haven't parsed out my feelings on yet why do y'all think that uh, Ned lived in the forest after his son died why did he choose that Uh, because this game is all about coping with shit and I guess poorly coping with it (laughs) Yeah, that's that's, that's the operative word, is poorly coping with it. Yeah, pretty much that. And I mean, it fits, like, for me, it's like, people say that this game's ending is anticlimactic, and I see how people can think that, but I don't agree, just because how thematically consistent everything is. They, They could have gone in a billion different directions, but I think they picked a good direction. Um... I think a lot of people dislike the ending because yeah. you're so often taught that the guy gets the girl. And I think exactly. you know what I mean? mm-hmm. he doesn't because that's not what this game is. Right. People also might not like the ending because they, you know, 
were looking for the wrong things out of this game. Right. Yeah. They were looking for a a thread that would wrap up all of the paranoia stuff, which <laughs> if there's another criticism, it's like, okay, so he went into this camp and he set all of this shit up. <laughs> That's okay, sure, I guess. Uh to get literary for a sec the moment where I realized that this game wasn't going to like uh, confirm any of its weird, not supernatural, but like weird uh, conspiracy stuff was one of the last um, books. What are those things called? Like the lookout boxes. Um, One of the last ones you find has basically all of the books that sum up the themes of this game. Like there's a thriller written by the dad from gone home. There's um, a series of like seven novels that are all different mystery novels. And a lot of books of that type, if you know, if you've, like, read those types of books, um, will end with, like, yeah, this was a government conspiracy. And so that felt like intent, really obvious red herrings. But the one uh, that some that, like, cinched it for me was actually one of the boxes has Jane Eyre in it, which um, is a novel that people don't know. I think the reason they chose it is because that is a novel where everything seems to be heading one way and then it doesn't and it's about the like crushing weight of reality and how in our heads it's so much easier and more clean and beautiful to be like oh what if it was all aliens all along but really it was just a mad sad man in his backyard because mm-hmm. um, Jane Eyre is, is, is all about that stuff so as soon as I saw that cover in that book I was like they're messing with us this is not it's going to be like some dude and it was so like there are stuff the game respects the player Uh, a lot Mm -hmm. which i appreciate not enough games respect the player Mm -hmm. like their intelligence and um apparently they didn't know what they wanted to do for the ending until like very late in development and i think that shows in a few spots uh just because how many how much time they focused on the teens that doesn't really go anywhere uh well they go somewhere and it's like hey we found them they're not dead uh just kind of out of nowhere, and I was gonna cite the like Delilah radio or the uh, the Julia radio conversation because that's another thing where it just kind of comes out of nowhere and it just it's a moment, um, and it doesn't really got brought up uh, brought up again. Uh, that feels like a leftover from whatever other plot that they had in mind. Uh, not to say that's necessarily a bad thing. I just thought it was an interesting thing to note. I don't think they were... I think they knew from the beginning that they didn't want it to be any of that conspiracy stuff, but they didn't know how, what type of reality, like, slice of reality they wanted it to become. Uh, because there are constantly moments in that game where things seem like they're going to go weird and then they reveal themselves not to. Not even just at the end, like, uh, you get that dream sequence and then there's a moment after you get the axe and you cut down the tree and everything seems to start to be coming apart and one of the, you can start distrusting Delilah because earlier in the game you got to hear her talk on the radio about someone who you think is you mm-hmm. and the beauty of that moment is that it isn't you the player is not important in that scene she is talking about someone else <laughs> like that's what I found out later um and so you you have that moment you're seated with it in that moment and then later when her and you are yelling back and forth, one of Henry's options is like, are you in my head, Delilah? Like, are you even real? And you're like, this game is playing with me right now. This game is toying with my expectations. Like, I 
who who are you kidding at this point? Of course she's real. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else? Firewatch. It's it's a hell of a game. Uh, we do have a few questions that we can answer. Yes. Uh, from from Twitter.com. Uh, these two questions come from Elijah Smith. The first one is, uh, do you guys think Firewatch has an identity problem? No. I think you have an expectation problem if you think it does, yes. to be honest. <laughs> Tatiana gets it. Yes, exactly. The game knows exactly what it wants to be. We just didn't know how to approach it. Mm-hmm. Be the community. I can understand how someone could think that, though, just because the, the intro of the game is so much different than everything else, and it goes off in unexpected directions, but, like, it's 100% thematically consistent in a way that many games aren't. And for that alone, like, I do not think this game has an identity problem. And that's just the thing about video games, is they, they change constantly, and no game is written beginning to end from day one. Like, that happens all the time. Sometimes it shows more. And you need mm-hmm. to remember that this is the first game from these people, and like they had great writing in spots, and then they had to they had to stitch it together with some sort of stuff that doesn't always connect. But at the end of the day, like yeah, this game feels like a complete story, thematically yeah. and uh, narratively. I completely agree. I would say something like what Mass Effect Three, or like any big open world game that a billion people are working on. Uh, that just gets crammed in the one product like that is something that has an identity problem just by value by virtue of there's a billion different people working on it and who contribute all of these different ideas but i wouldn't say that about firewatch at all second question is do we feel like firewatch is worth its price and i'm gonna say yes and i'm gonna say that if you like a piece of art you should probably support it and Firewatch is a game that is unlike any other game that I've played. And the fact that it was made by 12 people who all were from bigger, you know, bigger budget developers. The fact that they just quit their jobs just to make a game that they wanted to make is something worth uh, supporting. So, like, I, I, I just recently played the intro again before we recorded and it, this game is beautiful and if you don't think that this game is worth $20 alone based on how gorgeous it looks, like, I'm not sure what $20 is to you then at that point. I mean, I am, I'm trying to imagine if anybody out there put years of their life and years of their creativity into a game or into any creative project and somebody came along and said, you know what, I, this is not worth my money. I played this through, I mm-hmm. thought it was pretty, I enjoyed it, but I didn't like the ending and this wasn't worth my money. It's just unfathomable I played to it, me. <sighs> I played it through and Anita Sarkeesian was on the credits, so I want my money back. <laughs> Someone did say that, that's a real thing! Uh-huh. I mean, uh, Campo Santos is a small group, they had one environmental artist, one woman is responsible for all of that beautiful environment, and I can't imagine yeah. that spending $20 or, or coming out of it and going, oh, that was not worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously like money means different things to different people. I am I will be the first to admit that I'm privileged in that I can afford uh, most of the, game, of the games that I want to play, but at the same time, like, uh, 
considering that again this is from a small developer who made this as a passion project uh it's worth twenty dollars to me and for me paying twenty dollars for a thing that feels complete and excuse me cohesive is absolutely worth my time because so many games that come out for sixty dollars are leaning more into being successful consumer products than they are being works of art and uh i think that (laughs) all pop culture has the potential to be art some of it is not trying hard enough some of it you know fails in some respects and succeeds in others but firewatch has a purpose and doesn't get mired in any like problems or like it's not trying to cram in 10 different things it is a game where you walk and you talk and you find your way around and that is all it is and if you know that and you go into it and you're disappointed by it you you still supported a game that is complete and succeeds in its uh like attempt to make you the player feel something whether or not it made you feel that thing and we're also getting into like um the specifically specifically with video games people have a problem with paying a certain amount of money like over certain thresholds like don't get me started on apps and how we were talking about in-app purchases privately a while ago and how like people will spend so much money on a free-to-play game but they won't spend i knew people that wouldn't spend a dollar on the app a couple years ago because that seemed like no i don't want to use my credit card so it's just games have a problem with you know consumers of games have problems with spending money and that needs to be fixed because if we don't get over that, then companies like Campo Santo aren't going to exist. And just not. Right. And this game, more than a lot of games uh, of this type, just tries so many things. Um, and whether you think it succeeds or fails is kind of irrelevant. Uh, I think Firewatch is important in that it tries a lot of things. Um, and we should it should exist... And by by saying, oh, this game is not worth $20, by saying, like, Firewatch or Gone Home or, you know, even smaller games like We Know the Devil, we know the Devil or Sybil, like, if you don't give those people their money, like, that, they just won't exist. Um, so I would just say that if you want interesting games like Firewatch and the games I just mentioned to exist, you should... Uh, support these people so they can make cool games don't wait on a sale like play it when you want to play it and i'm not going to tell you how to spend your money but like spend the amount of money that the developers want you to spend don't be like i'm going to wait for it to go 75 percent off because mm-hmm. a lot of times that creates a culture I'm of gonna, like i'm gonna wait for it uh, until it's on playstation plus like oh don't don't get me started don't get me started <laughs> nope <laughs> I'll, I'll scream. I'll scream at our, our at our not able to speak back audience if we start mm-hmm. talking about the entitlement when it comes to PlayStation Plus and being given free stuff. I am. Um, oh, we can talk about that one day. Jesus yeah, Christ. <laughs> when it comes to buying games, I you know if you want to wait for the game to be on sale before you put your money into it, if you want to wait and read reviews first before you put your money into it, that's you know oh I mean, yeah. That, yeah that's awesome. And I think that you know if you waited and you bought Firewatch when it was five dollars off. And you really enjoyed it. What you could do with that five dollars you save is go to the Campo Santo store, buy a pack of their stickers. That's five dollars that goes into their pocket. You know, there's there's plenty of ways to continue to support a game even if you get it at that discount. Yeah, but do like do follow through with that because you know, like speak with your money basically. Yeah, speak with your money. Support artists, <laughs> support indie developers, please, for the love of God. If you want them to exist, that's all they got. 
So that's basically what we're saying here. Um, so yeah, is there anything else about Firewatch or uh, games being worth money that we want to talk about before we wrap it up? Play Firewatch. and Play Firewatch is great. Uh, I'm excited for what Campus Santa does in the future. Absolutely. Oh yeah, there was a tweet from them saying that Firewatch has outsold what they expected and they're looking forward to the next couple of years of development and so am I, frankly. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. That makes makes me really happy that this game did well. Alright, well I guess that's it for Firewatch. Before we wrap it up, we have some housekeeping stuffs. Uh, we are on iTunes and Stitcher now. We weren't last time, because we just started, but we are this time. So if you want to rate us on iTunes, or what can you do on Stitcher? Can you can you rate on Stitcher? Can you review on Stitcher? If you can do one of those things, then do it, because that'd be great. Right. I don't even know if you can, but if you can do... If you want to... Again, if you want to support Support artists, indie podcasts. <laughs> right. Keep indie podcasts weird. Um, and then you can follow us on Twitter at Podcast Fireside. And I just want to give some shout-outs to people who shared our first episode. Brenna, Katie, Destiny, Jackson, and Apple Cider Mage. Thank you all so much uh, for sharing our first episode. That really means a lot to us. And, um, yeah. Uh, Tatiana, can uh, where can people find you on the internet? If you head to twitter.com slash Tatiana writes. That is where you'll find a bunch of my stuff. I am, of course, at Gaming Rebellion, and I DJ for an independent radio station called Gridstream. All of my stuff, you can find it through my Twitter, or you can head over to tatianawrites.tumblr.com. Alan? Um, You can find me tweeting about all sorts of uh, life nonsense at twitter.com slash Ibrahim. That's A-L-L-E-N- I-B-R-A-H-I-M because I know a lot of people have trouble with my uh, Syrian last name. Um, I host another podcast about Farscape. It's called Scape Chats. If you liked my little brief mention of that, then that is everywhere that you listen to podcasts. And there was another thing I wanted to, to talk about. Oh, yes. I have a YouTube channel. Sometimes we play video games on it. My friends and I, we host it. It's called Pop Modern Plays. You can just search YouTube for Pop Modern Plays and it'll probably show up. If you like games, if you like pop culture the way that you like this show, that exists. We're going to start putting new episodes up very soon and it's very exciting. All right, and for me, I am Ryan Prasad. I am at Taco Detective on Twitter and I have a blog that is tacodetective.com. All right, that's going to be it for us, for everyone here. Thanks everybody for listening. Good luck out there and don't forget to take care of yourself. See ya. everyone you listen to fireside friends that's bad i'm not a radio dj what the fuck am i doing <laughs> all right just as long as you don't do the cardinal rule which a lot of annoying youtubers do which is to go hey what's up everybody because nobody can answer that question <laughs> i can't answer my youtubers so you, you're um, good